this is Catherine welcoming you to the 2233rd edition of the Enfield Talking Newspaper, dateline 2nd of March 2023. The readers this week are Catherine, Angela, Roz, Denise, Mel, with Dem on the controls. The editor was Denise, and the production and distribution team was done by all of us here at Team A. Our title music is Country Rock Polka, composed by Pat Prilly, Fernand Bouillon, Harry Brer, and performed by Jean-Jacques Perry, and is used with his kind permission. The local news stories that we will be reading come from the Enfield Independent and Enfield Dispatch, and are their copyright. The event's information has been collated by us from other sources. The lead story this week... Tories blamed for council tax hike. Before the news, we have one or two special items and notices. First, the sunrise and sunset times for the week beginning 6th of March are sunrise, 6.36am, and sunset, 5.48pm. We also have some special notices. Do get in touch with us to share your own news and special announcements. We love to hear from you. If you have any comments about the Enfield Talking newspaper, please phone Diane de Jersey on 07-899-854-582. She is your listener's representative and will be pleased to help you. And the... Um, item of special news interest this week is from the Enfield Home Library Service. Did you know that Enfield has a home library service? This means that if mobility, disability or caring responsibilities make it difficult for you to visit the library, then we can bring the library to you and there is no charge. The Home Library is run in conjunction with the Royal Voluntary Service who vet and manage our volunteers. You tell us the sort of thing you like to read and we will select books for you and deliver them to your home once every four weeks. As well as ordinary print titles, we have audiobooks on CDs and large print titles. There are also a limited number available in different languages. Separately, the Enfield Home Library Service offers assistance with digital library content, so we can help you get to grips with borrowing e-books or audiobooks from the library to read or listen to on a phone or tablet. For more information, or to see if you can sign up for this service, call Shauna Tevan on 07826 511094. And our second special notice this week is from Enfield Vision. We are a group of visually impaired people determined to improve the environment and to reduce the everyday problems of blind and partially sighted people. We are registered with the Charity Commission as an organisation with the specific aim of promoting the well-being of visually impaired people living in Enfield. We hold a drop-in morning on the third Thursday in each month from 10am to 1pm at Park Avenue Resource Centre, Bush Hill Park, Enfield. Here are the dates for the next few months. And I'll give you the, the dates for the next two months, in fact. Thursday, the 16th of March, so you've got plenty of time to organise for that one. 
And then there's one on Thursday, the 20th of April. Don't worry, we'll repeat these dates as we get closer and closer. And now, Angela is going to read you the first item of news. Council tax rising by 5% as a big budget gap looms. Civic Centre scrambling to plug five-year budget hole of £65 million as debt payments and inflation hits council coffers. Council tax bills in Enfield will rise by almost 5% from April as the Civic Centre faces a number of financial challenges to balance its books. The 4.99% hike is made up of a 2.99% increase in core council tax and a 2% rise in the levy used to fund adult social care. Together with an expected 9.4% increase in the Greater London Authority's own council tax precept, the hike will push up annual bills for average-sized D-band houses by £114.40 during the 2023-24 financial year. The planned council tax increase signed off by the Labour administration last month comes as the Conservative government gave local authorities new powers to raise council tax by 4.99% without holding a referendum. Hmm. Previously, councils had to ballot residents if they wanted to hike the bills by more than 2.99%. At a scrutiny meeting in January, council officers revealed that an extra three million from the revenue budget would be used to pay down debt during the 2023-2024 year, taking the total annual repayment on the council's one billion debt to 26.6 million. It also emerged that although the 2023-24 budget will be balanced, the council is still facing a major dilemma over how to plug a £65 million budget hole that will appear over the next five years unless action is taken. Even though the council will receive an extra £8.1 million in government grant funding for the 2023-2024 budget, in addition to the increases in council tax and business revenue, this will still not be enough to cover forecast spending. Okay. At at a cabinet meeting last month for finance members, sorry, let me repeat that. At a cabinet meeting last month, Tim Lever, the council's cabinet member for finance and procurement, acknowledged that the current financial situation for Entwood Council was, and I quote, very difficult because of the cost of living crisis, the impact of austerity and rising interest rates, which he blamed on the government but said the council had tried hard to limit the budget to be balanced and sustainable and that it was designed to protect the borough's most vulnerable residents. To bridge the gap between income and spending, 15.9 million of savings are proposed in the 2023-2024 budget. The majority of cuts, some 5.3 million, will be made to the adult social care department. This move sparked concerns during the January scrutiny meeting where officers revealed that some staff reductions are being planned and at least one daycare centre could close. 
to raise an extra 380000 The council also plans to hike fees and charges for a number of services. Conservative scrutiny panel member James Hockney said this would have a huge impact on a very wide range of people, particularly sports clubs and community groups. And he did not understand why the council could not reduce the amount it pays on consultants and solicitors to avoid heaping costs on residents. In response, Councillor Levy said in response, Councillor Lever said there would be a modest increase in some fees and charges after they were reviewed on a case by case basis. Despite drawing down two million from its reserves in the twenty twenty two twenty twenty three budget, the council does not plan to use reserves to balance the twenty twenty three twenty four budget. Meanwhile, New investment plans include a 600000 budget to create a community law enforcement team to tackle crime and antisocial behaviour and a £1 million fund to fund the recruitment of extra children's social care workers. Housing chief refuses Tory call for resignation. Enfield Council's councillor responsible for housing has faced down calls to resign over the authorities' handling of building safety risks at an Edmonton estate. Conservative opposition councillors called on Labour's George Saver to quit over what they claim was poor management of risk at Shire's estate in Edmonton where two blocks, Cheshire House and Shropshire House, were recently found to be vulnerable to collapse in the event of a gas explosion. But Councillor Sava and his Labour colleagues defended the council's action in responding to the safety issues at the estate and voted against a motion called for its resignation. Both 18-storey towers failed structural safety tests carried out in response to the Grenfell Tower tragedy, but the date for switching off the gas supply was initially extended from June this year to January next year so the buildings could be connected to the council-owned energetic heat network which is supplied by the excess heat from Edmonton Incinerator. However, the gas supply to Cheshire House has to be cut off urgently in November after a leak was discovered, leaving residents using electric heaters and outdoor showers in sub-zero temperatures. The council now hopes to switch off the gas at Shropshire House as well by the end of this month after installing electric boilers. Last Wednesday, the council announced it was considering various options for the future of the towers, including moving residents out permanently and decommissioning the buildings, as the cost of repair works estimated to be over £53 million. At an extraordinary council meeting, the Conservative group tabled a motion calling on Councillor Saber to resign and apologise for not treating the gas replacement as an emergency – and making the risks clear to residents. The Tories claim a similar motion on Shropshire House intended for a meeting on January the 25th was blocked because of a risk for council being sued. The council claim in response that it did not meet the requirements for an emergency motion. Councillor Lee Chamberlain accused the council of appalling failures to properly manage the safety of residents living in Woolbrook, Cheshire and Shropshire Tower Blocks. He said the council had chosen to leave residents in structural weak towers with rusting gas pipes, 
towers which were at the danger of structural collapse in the event of an explosion. He also claimed the council had failed to inform residents of the risks and to install gas sensors quickly enough. Council leader Nessel Kaliskan hit back at the comments saying the safety and well-being of tenants and leaseholders is always our top priority and accusing the Conservatives of political point scoring. She claimed the Tories previously motioned mission a deadline for the January meeting. Councillor Kaliskan added that the council was already carrying out some of the actions proposed in the motion, including rehousing, residents and evaluating the Civic Centre's property portfolio. She also claimed the council had acted immediately to install a new heating system in the blocks. And now an item about Enfield's support for Turkey. Enfield North MP Feriel Clark on the local response to the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. One of the few things you can take solace in after such a devastating event is the responses and actions of others. Enfield has truly stepped up. The scenes from the devastation caused by the 7.8 and 7.5 magnitude earthquakes in Turkey and Syria are heartbreaking. Like many members of the British-Turkish-Kurdish community in Enfield, my family woke up on Monday the 6th of February trying to contact loved ones and relatives. We were incredibly lucky to find out that the majority of our family were safe. Thousands of families have not been so lucky. Victims were trapped under collapsed buildings and their loved ones, with communication to the region limited, even took to social media to call for help. Feeling totally helpless, many could do little more than take to Twitter to raise the alarm and call for help for relatives who were trapped under collapsed buildings. While the international response to this disaster has been immense and I am grateful to our own government for immediately sending over search and rescue and medical teams, the community response in Enfield and across North London has been incredible. It has touched me the most. I spent that Monday at an Alevi community centre in Enfield. Seeing families there talking to loved ones and watching on via a WhatsApp video call while family members tried desperately to dig through the rubble was heartrending. The feeling of desperation grew as time passed and as people waited longer and longer for help to reach them. But after this came action... The response has been heartwarming. It has brought the community together. Last month I visited numerous community centres in and around Enfield whose members have been spending days and nights organising aid to be sent to Turkey via trucks and holding fundraisers in order to send much-needed monetary assistance. I will continue to visit local community groups to show my solidarity and support efforts. The number of local faith groups, including Jewish, Sikh, Christian and Muslim, which came to visit the local community centres to show their support and make donations has been great to see. Even our primary schools across Enfield and across North London have held fundraising events. In the coming weeks, we will learn more of the scale of this disaster and we must ask questions about how thousands of buildings supposedly designed to withstand these kinds of events were reduced to rubble in a matter of minutes. 
But for now, the focus both internationally and in the disaster zones must be on those who remain in Turkey and Syria and have had their lives destroyed. Since the news of the earthquake came in, I have questioned both the Foreign Secretary and Prime Minister on the government's response to the earthquake. I continue to work with my fellow MPs to support our constituents who have been personally affected by this disaster. It is hard to see now how some of the areas in Turkey and Syria will begin to rebuild, but I know the community here in Enfield and in all of North London will continue to do all they can to support those in such dire need, and I call on our government and Turkey to do the same. Enfield North constituents can contact Ferial Clark by calling 0208 804 4543 or you can email ferial f-e-r-y-a-l dot clark c-l-a-r-k dot m-p at parliament dot uk And now an article about the closure of station car parks. The car parks at Arnosgrove Station are set to close this month ahead of the start of construction work on controversial plans for new housing. The historic Grade 2 listed tube station is set to become flanked on either side by blocks of flats up to seven storeys tall, providing 162 new homes. The scheme was granted permission by a planning inspector following a public inquiry last year after initially being rejected by Enfield Council's planning committee. It will mean the loss of 292 car parking spaces at the station, which is one of several in the capital, including Cockfosters further up the Piccadilly line, where Transport for London plans to build homes on car parks used by tube and rail passengers. TfL has confirmed the Arnos Grove car parks will close on Monday 13th of March. Capacity for disabled blue badge holders to park at the station will be provided as much as possible throughout construction. However, there will be no spaces available for non-disabled drivers and only blue badge spaces will be retained after construction is complete, expected in 2026. And now an article about Park's new community hub that's taking shape. A long-awaited community hub for Firth Farm has taken one big step forward, but more money is needed before it can be open to the public. After eight years of planning and fundraising by the charity Friends of Firth Farm, the park's new modular community hub arrived on site last month. The £300,000 raised to date, a combination of individual donations to the crowdfunders' grants and from various other charities and support from Enfield Council, has enabled the building to be erected and installed. However, the total fundraising target has to be increased because of the rising because of rising costs and of course of other costs, £40,000 is still needed to pay for the fit-out of the building, which is set to include a cafe, changing rooms and toilets and rooms for hire by the community. Helen Osmond, a trustee with the Friends of Fur Farm, told the dispatch, There is a lot of excitement now we have got to this stage, but the costs have gone up exponentially. We are hoping, with a push, 
And if the community really gets involved, we can get over the next hurdle. We have done the hard work to get this building here and we need just a little bit more. Friends of Fur Farms Chair, Tony Guyver, described it as a trailblazing project and said planning for the hub first began in 2015. It has been a lengthy process, said Tony. It has also been something that the community has wanted for a long time and we have been driven by the community. If the last phase of the crowdfunding campaign is successful, the aim is to have the community hub fully open by Easter. Surgeon's Fundraiser A surgeon has raised £24,000 to make the intensive care unit in Romford where he has worked for 19 years more humanised. Consultant Prakash Naik gave a cheque to the King George and Queen's Hospital charity with fellow members from Enfield Lions Club. Intensive care is a tough environment and can be traumatic, he explained. I'll be happy ten years down the line knowing I've contributed to the hospital. I've seen the amazing work this hospital does. The money raised at the dinner and dance is to improve the unit for patients and their families with entertainment and comfortable furniture. Prakash chose the hospital charity when he was president of Enfield Lions last year and his choice was welcomed by the Hospital Trust chief nurse, Catherine Halford, who said, This money will make such a difference. We can humanise intensive care to look after people holistically, not just their physical needs. The hospital's charity raises funds for projects beyond the NHS. And here's an item on a Holocaust survivor's story of resilience. A Holocaust survivor has visited a school to share her story of survival and hope. Marla Tribich visited Highland School last Friday. She is a survivor of the Holocaust and a powerful speaker who shares her story with audiences around the world. Her visit to Highland School was part of ongoing efforts to educate students about the atrocities of the Holocaust and promote empathy, tolerance and understanding. During her visit, Marla shared her experiences with the students and staff. She began by describing her childhood in Poland, where she lived a happy and carefree life until the Nazis invaded the country in 1939. She spoke of the horrors she and her family experienced during the Holocaust, including the forced relocation to a ghetto, the separation from her parents and siblings, where, apart from her brother, all were murdered by the Nazis and the brutal conditions in the concentration camp. She reveals her identity was stripped in all forms and without identity you lose hope and without hope there is no survival. And that was the experience of many Jewish people during the Holocaust. She miraculously survived to the death camp and later settled in the UK where she has devoted her life to educating young people about the horrors of the Holocaust. Despite the unimaginable trauma she endured, both mentally and physically, Marla's inspirational message to the students was, don't be a bystander to injustice, do not tolerate it and do something about it. Have high standards and morals and use these morals to shape the future and make the world a better place. 
Head teacher Vincent McKinnery said, It was an honour and privilege to welcome Marla Tribich to our school and to hear her incredible story. Marla's message of hope, resilience and courage will inspire our students to be agents of positive change in their communities. Marla's visit was a profound and meaningful experience for the school. It was a special opportunity for students to hear a first-hand account of one of the darkest moments in human history and learn from her experiences. Councils warned over energy profits. Taxes on energy profits could cost North London £20 million, the boss of the area's council-owned waste company estimated. This year, the North London Waste Authority, NLWA, handed out £10.2 million in windfall payments to the seven councils which own it. The dividend depends on the monthly levy each borough pays to NLWA, depending on the volume and composition of waste collected the previous year. Hackney will receive £1.5 million, Camden will receive £1.2 million, and Islington will get £1.2 million. Barnet gets £2 million, Enfield receives £1.5 million, and Haringey and Waltham Forest each receive £1.2 million dividend. This follows a £4.7 million dividend last November. The price of energy soared because of the war in Ukraine, which affected gas prices from Russia. Commercial energy companies have reported huge spikes in their profits and the government brought in an energy generator levy. The new tax is on energy suppliers generating more than 50 gigawatts of energy a year. The first excess £10 million they earn will be exempt from the charge. NLWA boss Martin Capstick told Islington's Environment and Regeneration Scrutiny Committee it could cost North London £20 million. He said it was impossible to predict how long the high fuel price would last. NWLA-owned London Energy has made large profits from electricity sales during the energy crisis from burning North London's waste. The energy is fed into the national grid. Last year, the councils, which own NLWA, approved a £1.2 scheme to replace the ageing incinerator with a new one. Residents across the boroughs joined with environmental campaigners to try and urge a rethink. They said burning waste is not green and can cause health problems. Mr Capstick told Islington Council's Environment Scrutiny Committee... No one wants to see the hardship associated with the high energy prices in this case. The benefit has at least gone gone being public sector and not the private sector. And our members are very keen those gains to go back as much as possible. He said the benefits go back to the councils to spend on services and stressed NLWA does not encourage people to generate more waste. Council axes all parking meters. Mm. Pay and display parking machines will be removed from all council-run car parks and high streets in the borough, the Civic Centre has informed. From April 2023, drivers will be told to use a smartphone app to pay for parking, leading to fears of digital exclusion from elderly residents who may not be able to use the technology. However, 
There will still be an option to pay by cash or card at local shops or to buy parking scratch cards in advance from borough libraries. The council points out that there has been a reduction in the use of pay and display machines in recent years and that axing them will save £44,000 per year. A council spokesperson said pay and display parking machines are being removed to reduce the amount of street furniture on the borough's pavements. We have seen an increase in the use of cashless parking over the past five years and a reduction in the use of pay and display, with cashless being used now more and more. Continuing on the driver's theme, here's an interesting article about owners who will not buy an electric vehicle due to rising electricity costs. A staggering 80% of UK drivers won't be purchasing electric vehicles, EVs, due to rising costs and lack of government support, according to a recent research from Choose My Car. Their study included questions around the costs of EVs, which proved that there are several large barriers to UK drivers getting behind EVs as the future of the motor industry. Currently, EV drivers enjoy a 100% discount on the congestion charge in London until 24th of December 2025. Also in April 2025, the government introduces the vehicle excise duty on EVs. However, these future costs are putting off a number of car buyers. 78% of UK drivers expressed a belief that government needs to do more to support EV ownership, with 70% suggesting it scraps its plans on EV tax. Congestion charge and low emission zones too. Of the 80% that are concerned about rising electricity costs, 79% were male compared to 81% of women. The 55-plus age group was the demographic with the biggest concerns, with 84% admitting that the rising costs will give them purchasing on EV at the moment. Apparently, sorry, will stop them purchasing an EV at the moment. Geographically, there was also some variation although all areas are strongly in agreement that rising electricity costs were the biggest turn-off. Considering investing in an EV, Sheffield was the city with the strongest view on this, with 92% stating they would be put off buying an EV. And this was followed by Nottingham with 88%, Liverpool and Southampton both with 85%, Cardiff, Plymouth and London with 84%. Now, the least concerned cities were Birmingham, with 68%, Leeds with 69% and Glasgow with 76%. You'll be pleased to know there's still time to nominate for business awards. Thousands of award nominations have been made for local people in under a week. Loving Local, a community-focused organisation, made the announcement following 3,000 nominations for the Enfield Business and Community Awards. Gary Kusalu of Loving Local said, I have been absolutely overwhelmed that 3,000 people have been nominated in under one week. It is great to see so many people being recognised for their hard work and dedication to the community. The Enfield Business Awards were created after the University of Westminster asked Loving Local to take on a work experience student from Dallas, USA, named Brooklyn Wilson. Brooklyn was given the task of creating an event 
and so Loving Local decided to create the Enfield Business Awards. The awards will feature various categories, including Best Local Service Provider, Female Entrepreneur of the Year, Best Healthcare Provider, Best Charity to Donate to and Community Business of the Year. The awards ceremony will be attended by two local MPs, Bambos Sharalambus and Farrell Clark, amongst other dignitaries and maybe even a few guest celebrities. We are excited to have the support of our local MPs and other dignitaries at the awards ceremony. It is important to celebrate the achievements of those who make a positive impact in our community and we are thrilled to be able to do so through these awards, added Kusalu. The deadline for nominations is March the 9th and there is still time to nominate individuals or businesses. To make a nomination or for more information on the Enfield Business and Community Awards, visit https colon forward slash forward slash loving social media dot com forward slash Enfield hyphen awards forward slash. We encourage everyone to get involved and nominate someone who they believe deserves recognition. We look forward to celebrating the winners and their contributions to our community at the Enfield Business and Community Awards, April the 14th, concluded Kusalu. And now an article on Enfield's Choral Society. So performing Hayden's choral masterpiece. Joseph Hayden is one of the great composers of the classical period when a more dramatic compositional style became common. Throughout this time, the Austrian remained a pioneering figure with most of his life devoted to orchestral and instrumental music. It was after he completed Symphony No. 104, his last, that he composed his supreme choral masterpieces, The Creation and The Seasons. While visiting London, Hayden became an enthusiastic admirer of Handel after attending performances of Messiah and Israel in Egypt at Westminster Abbey. He was determined to produce a work of similar substance and power. The creation was premiered at a private event in 1798 in Vienna to great acclaim. Large-scale performances soon followed in London, Paris, St. Petersburg, Stockholm and Budapest. It is in three parts. Part one portrays the first four days in which heaven, earth, land, sea, plant life and the celestial bodies are made. Part two describes the fifth and sixth days with the appearance of birds, beasts, fish and finally man and woman. The shorter part three introduces us to Adam and Eve as they enjoy the delights of Eden. The text of the creation was originally produced in English, then translated into German, but Hayden always kept both languages in the score. It integrates choral and solo parts in music, which is highly inventive, colourful and full of lyrical melody. Sorry, lyrical melody. Memorable passages include the opening representation of chaos, the awesome depiction of the creation of light, which bursts in on the very first chorus and a superb sunrise of the fourth day. The creation is being performed by Enfield Choral Society at St Paul's Church in Winchmore Hill on Saturday, 18th of March, 
with professional soloists singing the areas, duets and trios. Choir members are enjoying the challenges of rehearsing its soaring choruses. Enfield Choral Society is a friendly, strong and growing non-auditioned SATB, that is Soprano, Alto, Tenor, Bass, choir of 60 members with a mix of ages. We welcome new members, so if you enjoy singing, why not give us a try? Summer concert rehearsals start from Tuesday 21st of March at St Stephen's Church in Bushill Park. If you're interested, why not introduce yourself to to us during the interval of our Hayden concert? To inquire about joining Enfield Choral Society, email membership at enfieldchoralsociety, all one word, .org.uk to buy tickets, which are £14 in advance, for the 18th of March performance of Hayden's The Creation, call 07 Eight six four zero six one seven five five, or email tickets at enfieldchoralsociety.org.uk and visit enfieldchoralsociety.org.uk. Here is an article about animal cruelty. Appeal as video shows owner kicking dog. Shocking video footage shows a man kicking a dog moments after something caused it to cower between his legs. The RSPCA say they are concerned for the animal's welfare, as vets believe it may have suffered after the blow. The camera phone footage shows a man walking a dog in Labour Street outside Tesco Express in Tottenham Hale on February the 4th at 5.25pm. The dog then appears to cower between the man's legs before he seems to kick down on its head. The animal welfare charity has released the footage in the hope that someone recognises the man. Anyone with information about the incident should contact the RSPCA's appeal line in complete confidence on 0300 123 on 0300-123-8018. And here's another review from Neil Lippman, who enjoys a lunchtime visit to Buckleham Vaughan. He's called this Winchmore Hill Restaurant, inspired by a MasterChef. One thing I'm aware of is the sheer volume of restaurant reviews and online platforms. I often check out comments before deciding whether to visit somewhere new and get concerned if they are overly negative, but then you never really know who's writing them and why. Matters took a strange turn recently when a restaurant ranked number one in Montreal on TripAdvisor turned out not even to exist, despite receiving 85 five-star reviews. Fortunately, this month's restaurant, Buckle and Vaughan, which opened in 2014 in Richmore Hill and takes its name from a 1920s grocery store, is very real. I had considered reviewing B&B when I first started writing this column in 2021. I've eaten there several times, both lunchtime and evening, and since it was always busy, I wasn't sure if it needed my support. But two years on, I decided to check it out again, having had an excuse to meet a friend for lunch. 
They'd refurbished the interior, which I already thought was well-designed. It has two distinct dining spaces, including an area that can be closed off from the main restaurant for private parties or special events, including weddings. There's a glitzy welcome as you enter in the form of an Art Deco bar. And there's an open-plan kitchen where you can see all the hard and hot work happening from the main dining area. It's good to have a stylish restaurant of this calibre for special occasions and they now also have an outdoor dining area on the green. Buckle and Vaughan serves an inventive seasonal menu with a chef thinking about what kind of food people really like and reasons to encourage their customers to make return visits. It's a formula that is a result of hard work and graph, plus the dining landscape has changed for value for money is still very much a key factor. Weekday lunch is the best visit value and my recent visit there exceeded expectations. We were welcomed into a full and noisy dining room at 12.30pm and presented with mainly modern European set menu. Two courses at 19.90, three courses at 24.90. We ordered starters of duck liver pâté with flatbreads and a prawn cocktail with Marie Rose sauce. Both dishes were served deconstructed all the essential ingredients present, but arranged in a less traditional order with a hint of MasterChef on the the side. Our mains were pan-fried sea bass with samphire and new potatoes, and minute steak with homemade fries, which was accompanied by a rather dangerous-looking knife. The desserts were chocolate brownie and tiramisu, both of which evaporated off the plate in seconds. Goodness, I know why I'm reading this article. I'm going home for dinner in a minute. (laughs) On the the positive side, Buckle and Vaughan has an excellent wine list and attentive service, but there is room for improvement in the portion sizes for some dishes and supplements for main course events. Now, should you wish to go to Buckle and Vaughan, it can be found at 10, 12 The Green, Winchmore Hill, N21. And it's open from Tuesday to Saturdays, 12pm to 11, and Sundays are 12 till 8pm. Booking is essential. You can call them on 0208 886 2981. And continuing on a food and beverage theme is an item now about a pub's reopening after five years. An iconic pub closed since 2018 has finally reopened after undergoing a £1.35 million refurbishment. The Fox in Green Lanes is now owned by Star Pubs and Bars and is being run by operator Austin Whelan of Whelan's Pub Company, which specialises in traditional Irish pubs. The long-awaited sorry, I'll read that again. The long-awaited refurbishment has come alongside the construction of a four-storey block of flats by Dominus Group, now joined to the pub building in Fox Lane. Austin says there aren't many pubs in Palmer's Green compared to other parts of London, and the Fox is a very prominent and well-known pub, so there's been lots of interest in the plans from residents. People have been desperate for the Fox to reopen as a really good local. We've all gone out to make it... Sorry, we've gone all out to make it a pub that Palmer's Green can be proud of. It's exciting to be reopening the doors and showing residents their new look local. 
And switching now to a little bit of sport where the towners have powered on with electric team spirit. Enfield Town FC are not known as a community club for nothing. In early February, as a special gesture, the home game against Wingate and Finchley was dubbed Public Services Day, with free entry to those who work in the public sector, including NHS staff and firefighters. Two weeks later, the club let in women and girls for free for the game against Margate, being the closest home fixture to International Women's Day. Town chairman Paul Reid explained, We are trying to make our supporter base more diverse. And although we've been here at QE2 Stadium 10 years, there are some people who still don't know we exist. Regular fans are enjoying a highly impressive league campaign with a team every bit as strong, if not more so, than last season when Town narrowly missed out on promotion. Many felt striker Mo Fowles' departure would weaken the side given his goal-scoring exploits, but if anything, the squad is a stronger, more cohesive unit. While the goals have been spread around, the additions of Ches Isaac in midfield and Loney Lewis-Knight in defence have given Town far more of a spine, while the bench is invariably full of impact players. The team has been in the playoff positions almost all seasons and, with no dominant side in control of the division, automatic promotion is still a possibility, despite two defeats in February. Manager Andy Lee says, Mo's goals were huge, but perhaps disguised some of our weaknesses elsewhere on the pitch, which we no longer have. We basically lost five players at the end of last season. We didn't start too well as a result, but the players we've brought in since have made a huge difference. There's a heck of a long way to go, but we feel we're stronger. We're a stronger squad this year. Defensively, we are a much sounder unit, while in midfield we have a balance and a huge amount of experience. There are some very difficult challenges to come, but we are ready for it. Plans to expand the ground are underway and there is an infectious spirit and camaraderie among the players. The dynamic of the group is really good and I don't think there are any obvious glaring weaknesses, said Lise. It's going to be a merry-go-round between now and the end of the season. But unlike last season with Worthing, there is no obvious runaway team. We're right in it and there's no reason why we shouldn't consider ourselves title contenders. Striker Jake Cass agrees. He adds, now we're more solid at the back, we're a very different animal to last season. A lot of players are just getting into their groove. I've been playing non-league football since I was 16. Last season was one of the best changing rooms I've seen. Some of us were a bit wary whether it would be as good this time, but the team spirit is electric. (laughs) This article, uh, the headline is Drivers Love Their Cars As Much or Even More Than Their Partner. Over one in five, that is 21% drivers, love their car as much or more than their partner, according to a new survey of over 250 drivers by the Insure the Gap. When asked what they loved most about their car, almost one in three, that is 32%, simply say the way it makes me feel while 34% say their car is perfect and they wouldn't change a thing. On the question of why they love their cars as much or more than their partner, drivers say their car makes them happy, 33%, never lets them down, 31%, doesn't need a Valentine gift, 21%, is easier to handle, 
27%, cheaper to run, 18%, and looks better for its age, 17%. Hmm. Over a sixth, that is 17% of drivers, describe their relationship with their car as a till-death-to-us-part situation, followed by one of convenience uh, and also friends with benefits and also just friends, and that's 12%. While 7% describe themselves as hopelessly devoted. One in five drivers, that is 21%, call their car a term of endearment, from sweetheart to darling and babe and baby, as well as human names such as Betsy, Jesse, Brian, Trevor, or to the rather random, the beast. When asked to describe their car, fun, 40%, exciting, 30%, are pipped to the post by the more prosaic responses of reliable, 61%, and practical, 57%. Eyes on the prize. An optician firm has won a national award from the UK's largest association representing independent opticians and optometrists. Hammond Opticians was named Community Practice of the Year by industry group Sightcare for their dedication to eye care in the local community. The business has been based at the same location in London Road for over 90 years and practice owner and optometrist Devon Lacani said, We are so proud and honoured to be recognised as the Community Practice of the Year. Our family-run business has been looking after eye care needs for Enfield residents since 1932. And now some final sports news. Ignatians look doomed after Derby defeat. Enfield Ignatians lost a crucial derby 39-19 to Hampstead at the Heath Extension on Saturday and the loss will almost certainly condemn them to County's two hearts Middlesex next season. Even if they secure the maximum 10 points for their final two games, their poor points differential means they are very unlikely to leapfrog 10th placed Datchworth, having also lost both league games to the Hertfordshire side. In an occasional feisty derby, Ignatian struggled to get on the front foot and when they did set up field position, poor ball retention saw Hampstead run the ball back with a vengeance as the hosts claimed two close-range scores. Ignatians continued to have their moments, having been dominant in the set scrums and with the penalty count largely in their favour, they had their chances to get back in the game – particularly when Hampstead had two players sin-binned for a high tackle and deliberate knock-on in quick succession. From a five-metre scrum, Ignatians made no mistake and good work from number eight Ewan Rennie and scrum half Ansel Schwartz created a platform for left-winger Cairo Sango to squeeze in at the corner following a blindside probe. However, Ignatians failed to press home their numerical advantage as they relaxed their grip and disaster struck as Hampstead's rampaging number eight extended their lead to 19-5 to at the interval. Far too narrow, Ignatians continued to suffer on the scoreboard and the visitors' tormentor-in-chief, Hampstead's number eight, continued to hasten their downfall as he was also a key catalyst in his side's next two tries. After setting up the left winger, his blindside dart from the base of a five-metre attacking scrum cruelly exposed a static defence as the hosts extended their lead to 24 points. 
To their credit, Ignatians never stopped trying, and in a pleasing moment of fluency from the back line, fullback Tom Buckland came into the line at pace, and his hard straight line secured their second try. Paul Duke added the extras, but the feel-good factor was short-lived, as moments later Hampstead, well served by their kicking game, again sighted the line and kicked a penalty given for offside to secure a 20-point lead. Hampstead continued to punish Ignatians on the scoreboard and after running in their sixth try had to deal with a succession of visiting attacks, having had a third player sin-binned for repeat team infringement. New Zealander Johnny Dixon, a constant threat with the ball in hand, looked lively each time he touched the ball and his evasive skills came to the fore as he gave three defenders the slip on his way to the line. Again, Duke converted, but it was all a little too late, too, sorry, too little too late, and a late injury to a Hampstead front row player and Stewart the game went to uncontested scrums. Despite their travails, Ignatians remain determined to see the season out on a high and have nothing to lose as they prepare for a trip to Grasshoppers and home date with Ryslip. Tries were made by Cairo Sango, Tom Buckland, Johnny Dixon and conversions, Paul Duke too. And lastly, something uh, very different coming to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Electric karting at Spurs. Tottenham Hotspur Stadium will house the world's first in-stadium electric karting facility as part of a new partnership with Formula One. Spurs and Formula One have teamed up to offer tracks for adults and juniors under the venue's south stand. The tracks, said to be London's longest indoor circuits, have been accredited by the National Karting Association, making the facility a potential future venue for national karting championship races. There are also plans for a driver academy programme which will widen the motorsport talent pool and help to identify the next generation of F1 drivers. Tottenham Hotspur is delighted to announce a 15-year strategic partnership with Formula One that will bring a brand new motorsport experience to London. A Spurs statement read, The Carton experience will be the focal point of a long-term partnership between the club and Formula One that will aim to create apprenticeship and career opportunities for local young people and bring greater diversity to the motorsport industry, particularly for women and underrepresented groups. It will also provide Formula One with a touchpoint in London from which to grow further its fan base throughout the world. We have reached the end of our programme for this week. Thank you for listening. So, from the team of Catherine, Angela, Roz, Denise, Mel, with Dem on Controls, it's... Goodbye. 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 Cheerio, cheerio. Please remember to turn over the address label in your postal packet, put the memory stick into the packet in a closed position and return it to us as soon as possible in readiness for the next edition. Don't forget you can call Diane de Jersey regarding any help you may require in connection with Enfield Talking Newspaper on 07899 854582.